So I ended up declining that job and buying a one-way ticket to Thailand. It's what niche your lingerie brings. So if you're a maternity, it could be I'm going to design one so the cup increases and decreases. So, and it and when you, it's tricky, when you come to then fitting, you then end up trying to get more than one woman of that size to see whether your bra fits. So it might not fit every cup size of say a 32 double D, but if it's fitting, you can, you know, if the neckline was out on every 32 double D you fit on, you know it's your bra rather than the person you're fitting on. Did you see a shift in your career from things being produced locally in uh, the UK to the to being outsourced? Yeah, definitely. There was, um, for example, in Lincolnshire when I went, um, so De Montford's in Leicestershire, so there are two counties side by side, there was like three lingerie um, manufacturers alone. And, uh, and then by 2003, there was, so within the three years, when I started university to finishing in three years into my career, there was no lingerie manufacturers. Do you have any experience with 3D software, which if you follow I, my Instagram, you know that like, this is my, yeah, this is like yeah. what I'm focusing on. I don't, I worked with someone who wanted to know the technical side and they were doing 3D at the time. And I was like, send me this stuff so I can look. And it looked so fascinating and amazing that it is something I definitely want to do, but then it's, I've got to be able to work it out how I can incorporate that to my services rather than it be me just being fascinated with it. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to do it. Hello, welcome to Underdressed, the podcast where we talk about the clothes under our clothes and exactly how they get made. My name is Trudy Gardner. I'm the freelance designer behind Wayfinder Lingerie. In this show, I'll be exploring the art, practice, and technical execution of intimate apparel. We'll be taking a behind-the-scenes look at this industry and trying to understand exactly how designers balance creativity with functionality, specifically as it pertains to our hardworking yet delicate base layers. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. I have Lori Van Johnson on the episode this week, and it was super fascinating. I loved talking to her and getting the opportunity to pick her brain about how she has learned all the skills that she has. We talk a little bit about drafting patterns. We talk a little bit about grading patterns. And obviously, we talk about all of her own personal life experience and how she's and how it's gotten her to where she is in the industry. So... I hope you enjoy the episode today. I, as always, really enjoyed recording it. Um, And don't forget, this week was a very exciting week for me because I launched my online course on learning how to use Clo3D for intimate apparel. And so in this course, I dive into how we can use the program to bring in a pattern, create a mock-up of that pattern, apply your appropriate lace textures and in your stitching, And if you've never used the program before, it is meant to be, it's designed to be a starting point, a jumping off point for you specifically if you are trying to use it for intimate apparel. And in addition to that, uh, Sophia, my colleague and friend, 
made a complimentary course that teaches you how to do drafting in Clo3D if that is more what you're interest, interested in in learning. So we have uh, discount codes for each other. So if you take my course, you get a discount code for hers. If you take her course, you get a discount code for for mine. And we definitely think that if you are new to Intimate Apparel design, this is definitely like a solid foundation for learning to create intimate apparel. And if you are an experienced designer and you want to learn to use Clothe 3D to mock up your garments, um, it's definitely the way to go for that as well. So there's a little something for everyone. Oh, another thing Sophie and I have in the works are some um, Twitch live streams or perhaps Zoom live streams. We haven't worked out all the details for that yet. So if you're interested in joining us, um, if you're a student who's taken one of our courses and you would like to come on and ask questions, this is going to be the platform that we use to um, answer all the questions that you might have about using Clo 3D. We'll be, otherwise, um, we'll be working in the program, just exploring different ideas and concepts that we come up with as we go. So um, again, follow my newsletter. Links will be all in the show notes. Um, Instagram is probably the best place to get a hold of me, Underdress Lingerie Podcast or Wayfinder Lingerie. And that's it. I'll let you go enjoy the show. I hope you like it. Okay. Hello, Lori Van Johnson. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you on. I've been a big fan for a long time, especially since I started learning to make underwear for myself. Um, you have quite a breadth and depth of experience in the industry. Over 20 years, you've written several books, you do mentoring, freelancing. I can't wait to get into all of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been, I started my lingerie design journey. I studied it at university. And what university there, did you go to? Um, De Montfort in Leicester. Okay, yeah, that's, that's so, a huge one. A lot of people who have had success in the industry have come out of there, right? Yeah, it was the only one I think in Europe for quite a while, but now there's obviously other ones coming about. And then from there, I was lucky to secure, um, I went actually into children's wear in a lingerie manufacturer in the UK because children's wear is quicker to get through a factory. So they were expanding um, what they did and all their designs and managed to then sneak across to do uh, lingerie and swimwear design, which is what I wanted to do. So it was kind of okay. like a backdoor in okay. um, because I had no no idea about children's wear. But I'd okay, so with the children's wear. wear and with lingerie, when you say you were doing design, was that creative design or technical design, pattern making? Uh, both. So okay. because it was a UK manufacturer, it was – all to do with all the patterns. So all the patterns in the swimwear and the laundry were all hand done and hand graded. So you were literally physically shifting the pattern up and out to make bigger sizes. They had no computer work. So there was no technical drawings. The spec sheets were all handwritten. They had, it was really old school. They had just like walls upon walls of patterns. And you took that pattern block and you physically changed it from an idea you'd sketched. Then you would walk to the sample machinist and you didn't even have, um, yeah, tech pack or anything. It was literally, you'd written, I want green bow. <laughs> Uh, not too gathered at the waist so it was really was so and I learned 
yeah, looking back so much, I like what stitch goes through a machine quicker cost wise. Um, and just, yeah, the overview of everything and became, I got a real appreciation to like UK manufacturing and keeping manufacturing all local. So I was there from 2000 to 2003. And then um, after that, I, because I've been there sort of three years, I then went and applied for the jobs and got a job in Panache, which is a bigger sized lingerie um design company and that was based in Sheffield so a bit north in the UK and I'd always wanted to go traveling and had that moment of if I get another job would I ever then leave to kind of follow the traveling so I ended up declining that job and buying a one-way ticket to Thailand nice <laughs> so then is there um, any other choice do you have any other option <laughs> Yeah, no, a job, just, think, a job with like a future in the industry or an unknown path, right? Yeah. And I think, I think if you, yeah, one way ticket, because I just thought I would, you don't really have a choice then to come back and kind of settle. You have to then kind of keep moving forward. So before I left, I got all my designs I'd done, all the technical stuff into like an A4 book and took my sketchbook Mark. and ended up in an island called Koh Tao and started to learn to dive and while I was there sort of three months or so in one of the instructors was had a um a shop on the island which sold swimwear but was struggling to get like European sizes because it was all Thai sizes and if you've ever been to Thailand like I couldn't get it past my knees the swimwear (laughs) and so I showed him my um portfolio and ended up then designing like three ranges for her traveling to Bangkok to do um, like the manufacturing, doing all the patterns. And because I was so used to hand grade and everything, I would sit outside on a little beach. It sounds really idyllic, but it was just, yeah. And I'd done all these three ranges for her to get her um, brand up and going into her shop. Cool. And that was kind of my first taste of like, well, if I can do it for someone else, not knowing any contacts, randomly on the beach and I'd always yeah. kind of want to do my own line when I ended up coming back to the UK and I ended up in Belfast because I had no there was no laundry jobs there that was again my time to go well I might as well start my own my own line cool and when I uh, worked for the UK manufacturer there was always it was like a 30a to 30c and I'm a 30 double d so I was always designing laundry never in my size mm. tell me about it <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a bit frustrating when you're like yes yeah. this is so beautiful yeah oh, I'll never be able to wear it <laughs> yeah. um so kind of started looking I went to like business courses um got a princess trust grant and decided oh, yeah. to launch my own brand um concentrating on the smaller backs bigger boobs so it went from 30c all the way to 34 double f nice and then um so yeah so i ran my own brand for about five years and got it stocked in top shop um new york um different boutiques around the uk and sold online and concentrated on like using liberty prints or all the oh, cool. brighter colors 
and uh, one of my best selling ones was the like a soft bra because sort of back then you could only really get a small medium large or in beige or black yeah so it was kind of expanding that because when I used to travel about um like doing visa runs from Thailand on the on the airplane I would always have to like unclip my bra or put a swimsuit <laughs> on just to get comfortable so it was kind of I ran my brand kind of from a personal point which I think is really helpful to have because then when everything anything goes wrong you never stop because you've mm. kind of you're invested you can use yourself at the, as the fit model too so yeah <laughs> you was, can actually test the product and see yeah whether you like yeah. it yeah, at a personal level, you can really like get into the details. So that was, yes, that was really good. And I reached the point of it becoming, so I used to hand make, I'd say 98% of it. It came to a point where it was too big for me to do, but then it was too small unless I like sought outside investment. So it was kind of like at that point, I was wondering what to do. And then that coincided with, I used to receive then lots of emails from people asking, like, how did I start? Did I know any manufacturers and just tips? So I would like email all these people back. And then I had this idea of why can't I make it into like a book or something so people can kind of read um my industry knowledge or other people so I did sort of interviews with people and then ended up closing my brand and I thought this book would take me sort of six months to write about three years later and I had to yeah 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 and so I ended up getting part-time jobs in a shop and I don't know there was times where I questioned it Mm. because I'd left like the industry it seemed I'd left doing my own brand then I was working in a shop at the age of, I think it was in my late 20s, desperately writing this book. And I ended then, um, I decided to go, I wanted to go back in the industry, but then I had, I was too advanced for certain levels, but not advanced enough because I didn't have any um, technical drawing. All mine was pattern-based. So I then applied for a job in Australia because, again, I wanted to move move countries and being sponsored um to go work in an Australian brand so that was like yeah that was really good really um it was nice to be in a different country working again for a company and whilst I was there I had also started a blog um which was called how to become a lingerie designer and that was just all tips and everything and then um so I stayed there for just over a year and then the book was published and I then decided to do a freelance alongside that. And that coincided with me with having my first um, son as well. Your, oh, your first son. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is a huge transitional time for for yeah. moms. Um, it, was, it was a huge transitional time in my life as well. Having my, well, I only have one, but um it can it can really throw things sort of out of whack or or for me that's what it was like like what you expect your life to look like after having children and and what it does is often not the same thing no yeah completely i mean because i came back to the uk and i had planned oh i would go i'll be back into the industry again and the closest um 
lingerie place, went for an interview. It was like a two-hour commute there and a two-hour back. And they had no flexi time at the time. So it was just this whole thing of, well, that wasn't a doable thing. And then I had that thing, what would I also train to be and to kind of fit in around him. So Mm -hmm. I was taking my master's at the time. um, So I thought I'd go into teaching more side, sort of into universities. But but then ended up the freelance took off. So I was then sort Mm. of. Um, so I was then doing, and I learned how to do all the technical drawings, went on a course to do all that. So then, yeah, so each book as it's gone on and on has been usually from what people have contacted me and want to know about. And then once it gets to be like enough people, there's only so many people I can sort of do Zoom calls or anything with, all that information gets stored and I kind of write it in a um, way that's you know, understandable and everything. So that's how the spec books came about and how to grade yeah and everything like that because there's not much technical side and and it's not as you think when you become an Andre designer you'd just be like drawing lovely (laughs) stuff (laughs) and probably nine times out of ten you're trying to work out the patterns or Mm. the tweaks of it all or the fabric stretch or just something more technical right yeah so yeah so everything that's been so the sketchbook um how to sketch a bra and brief came about because I saw on Instagram one one day someone had just taken my designs and claimed it as theirs. And I think that had happened like a couple of times. And I was like, well, yeah. I might as well try and monetize this and produce a book, like how you can do it all properly and everything. Right. Yeah, because it's a skill in itself, like learning how to sketch um, garments so that they show the functional capabilities of the garment as well like it's yeah. not just something beautiful like there's like there's your creative design sketches but then there's your technical sketches which is what I focus on like I started freelancing about a year and a half ago and that's where I started it was like like I've seen so many not good like things that are yeah. called technical sketches like that's yeah. not really what this pattern looks like so let me yeah. help you out here I can do technical sketches so um and your books was obviously one of the ones that I referenced when I was learning the skills that I that I was learning. So I appreciate, I appreciate you no collecting problem. this knowledge. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, distributing it. Um, so that brings us up to pretty close to where we are today. So you, you've gone mostly uh, like stuck with the freelancing. You have several yeah. books um, and you're developing some courses now as well. Yes. And then, so the mentor was so in lockdown, the mentoring came about, I attempted it beforehand. And though I think my daughter at the time then was ill and had to cancel it and then refund this person and then you kind of have this spin of oh that's not going to work so I shelved it for a while and then when lockdown everyone was from home and you could hear everyone's child that was a great time (laughs) to go and open it all up and that was really successful and again the course I'd kind of written outline so I always like do an outline of everything I'm going to do and then once I've spoken to people if the same question keeps cropping up or the same um where they want a certain information I then produce that into a course so yes I'm recording videos at the minute for the courses and it will be um a question which has come up so it'll be different courses so some will be like really small like a really specific Thing about lingerie design and some of them will be more of a bigger like um the spec one I'm working on is like how to measure 
So it's like a really in-depth and I show you exactly what measurements you're taking, mm. where you're taking them, why a side seam might get bigger or smaller or why it stays the same. So I'm mm. kind of answering the questions that I get asked when I'm doing the one-to-one -one courses. Mm. My request for you, and I've put this on your Instagram, is um, special considerations for small back, large cups, which I know you have a lot of experience in. So I'd love to hear. Yeah. I would love to like, just go get it in depth, like, yeah, knowledge, all the knowledge. Yeah, because there's obviously certain bits you do for when you're designing, like where the seams, like, like a no go seam to me would be like a complete horizontal seam on the bigger cups because that tends to make your boobs. You get just the duck like bill, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and like not the support. So there's bits like that, and there's bits. Um, when you grade to bring the strap in it doesn't go out as much as it does on the smaller sizes so yeah so I've got lots mm -hmm. it's just a case of sort of putting it in an order and putting it in one that's really easy to understand yeah grading grading especially for the small back large cup sizes because I I found that like you know grading goes up by the wire and then at a certain point like you're not you don't need bigger wires like your your chest is getting like your breasts volume is yeah. getting bigger but your wire is not getting that much bigger and then it throws everything else all off whack like you like you said the placement of the strap like because the wire is not getting bigger the strap doesn't need to move out that far and, yeah. yeah yeah otherwise you end up sort of wearing your straps and your, armpit. your armpits yeah <laughs> the breast tissue all has to sort of come in towards forwards yeah so the depth of it would get bigger than the width yes yeah but like the okay. height of it go yeah up and over so you're not mm. sort of getting your boobs left and right yeah so is that um a grading so is is that how you would grade like um when you're looking at the larger cup sizes when you hit a certain cup size and you know your your brand is focusing on small back large cups at some point you're not grading the wire anymore but you do continue to grade the depth of the cup yeah so yeah the wires you always if the wires do go up, you always then follow the wire grade. But then, for example, the grade difference between cups is between 1 and 1.25. So your neckline would only grade between 0.8 and a centimetre because that needs to kind of sit down because the bigger breast you get, you don't end up with the fullness on top of your breast as much. It's sort of further down and okay. obviously gravity and weight. Yeah. And then... The say if you were going from the bottom wire and going straight up, that measurement always stays at 1.2, whereas the width would probably go again between 0.8 and a centimeter. Okay. Okay. So you're then, adding the volume to like the cup across the width. It's a hard thing. Yeah. It's like yeah, the it's it's, this is perfect conversation to... for a co podcast. <laughs> when your course comes yeah, out, we then, can go into more in depth. Yeah. Yeah. So then you would go, and how I would do it, I would then grade, say, if I'm going from a double D to an E, would then to fit on an E and make sure, okay, that's fine. And then do a standard grade to the F. And what you find is, and you might need to tweak a little bit. Say, if the neckline's looking too big, then I would make it smaller. Mm. and then grade from that pattern upwards yeah okay gotcha yeah I've been talking I've been talking a lot just like trying to do my own learning about grading specifically and um I've been talking a lot about 
using base patterns with different, like, especially when we're talking about the cup sizes, it's very hard to just like take your one base size, your 34B and grade that all the way up to like a 40 double D or whatever yeah. and all the way down. Like you probably, you, you correct me if if my thinking is wrong on this, but I, I think the best way to attack that is to have a couple different base sizes and use yeah. and then use those as your grading. Like at least, well, depending on what your range is, but um, is there, actually, this is a good question. Like what would be the limit of grading that you would apply to like one base size? I usually have a base size in each cup. So if I'm going, say, from 28 to, say, 36, and I've got a C cup, so I'd have a base cup in the C, I would check it with a D, and then the double D. So I end up having a base size. I try to keep the same back. So I would go 30D, 30 double D, 30 two double D and have the base size on that and then get that made up and fitted before I move on to the next grade usually. Okay. So you would have, you, those would kind of all be a base size. Like they yeah. would each have, okay. And then you would fit them, perfect them yeah, and yeah. then continue the grade yeah. based off of I the mean, information that you compiled from those yeah. original samples. Okay. Give or take then obviously body shapes, because as you know, a 30 double D in one woman is not a 32 double D in another. So you just, mm. so you're more, so sometimes you don't need to change. You just need to be aware of, is this 32 D woman, my customer, if you've got your own brand, is this my customer or do I need to change the bra to fitter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because breasts can carry like the same volume can be carried differently on different women like you could be fuller on top fuller on the bottom yeah. you could have more firm breast tissue softer breast tissue so um yeah when i yeah. used to design for the high streets for example in marks and spencers their fit and model used to be a woman over 30 who had children and top shop used to be a 19 year old girl yeah so it would be very even though it would be a 34b they both were 34 Bs, you'd have different patterns. Mm. Oh, interesting. That, that's yeah. you're not the, yeah. your customer, the person who's the Marks and Spencer's customer, even though they probably can go to Topshop and buy, that's not who they're aiming for. Mm. Um, can I ask about where we get information on customer profiles? Like where do we get the standard measurements from? There's no actual standard, like yeah. like clothing, no actual standard. And you, if you were launching a brand, how I advise or how I um, went about mine would be to choose who, for example, I was a 30 double D or sometimes 32 double Ds in other brands. I would choose, right, a reference myself. I'm a 30 double D. I'm looking for this shape kind of breath this is who I'm aiming for so I kind of had my customer profile who I was aiming for and then fitted to the person I was aiming for to allow my uh, brand to be a strong brand for that customer so if you know you're going to a shop and you don't fit into each size it's not because 
it doesn't fit, you're not the customer for that particular shape bra, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Like French um, brands have a very narrow um, underwire and they grade on a four centimeters rather than a five centimeters. So you might not fit into all French brands, but then if you find you are fitting into French brands, then you're the customer they're aiming for and therefore you're more likely to fit into other French brands. Mm-hmm. When you say four centimeters versus five centimeters, is that your full underbust, full bust? At both, or... so it'll be going okay. the band okay. and around the cup. So they were okay. yeah, doing 2.5 uh, grade on the cup. They would only okay. do two. Okay, so um, I'm trying to understand this information. So if I am a brand and I want to create a new product, I have to define my ideal customer first. Is that just a matter of collecting, just getting a bunch of women that you that is your target market, like, you know, 19-year-old women um, that go to university, like, and just like trying to get the measurement, like getting measurements off of them? I think it's more um defining your brand as in probably not like i'm going to go for someone who's 19 who works here who's married or anything it's to do more with say either the lifestyle so if you were a maternity where Mm. you could be aiming at um it's the it's what niche your lingerie brings so if you're a maternity it could be i'm going to design one so the cup increases and decreases so and it and when you it's tricky when you come to then fitting you then end up trying to get more than one woman of that size to see whether your bra fits so it might not fit every cup size of say a 32 double d but if it's fitting you can, you know, if the neckline was out on every 32 double D you fit on, you know it's your bra rather than the person you're fitting on. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, this bra may not fit perfectly on everybody who measures into a 32 double D, but if the thing that's off is consistent across everybody yeah. I've measured on, then that's the thing I need to change on my pattern. Yeah, like if okay. it's not fitting around the back. So you have um so when you've got your bra down and you stretch it and it goes say to a 32 and it's made for 32 ideally it should fit every 32 back because it stretches to 32 and if you're fitting onto someone and it's not that could be because they're not a 32 but if you've got your bra and you've stretched it and it only goes to a 30 chances are it's not going to fit on any 32 back. On any 32. Yeah. It's I I I know this is like super complicated. <laughs> I didn't mean to get into like all the technical details, <laughs> but um I find it super fascinating. So um I I look forward to what whatever else you you end up like coming out with, you know, when with yeah. your courses and and There's uh, a whole list. information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've got um, the um anatomy of the bra book, the second edition or written and when they first come out of the first editions it's usually all the research I've done for that time and obviously as years go on and I make more contacts there's it all gets re-revised and everything so that's written Mm -hmm. but it's just all trying to be like laid out and everything 
Okay. I've got a little, I keep having little ideas for courses and it gets written yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. That's fun though. Right. Like when you, I uh, keep a little journal by, by me all the time with just like ideas that keep popping up and you get them in there and they eventually work their way out into whatever a podcast or, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. various design ideas or whatever. Um, okay. So we, did we catch up to where you currently are today? You have the courses coming out, um, and you still do mentoring as well. Yeah. So I do, um, either one-to-ones, which means you can book in for half an hour or to an hour. And this could be like an idea you've got, or you're stuck on a problem where you just, yeah, want to bounce ideas off or want me to look at something and I can, it could be great and I can see automatically where you've like gone wrong. And then, or I've got the mentoring, which covers three months and it is depending on like the three levels, whether you want a 30 minute or an hour talk and that's split over, but then you get the choice of being able to contact me either email or text. So it could be, you're with a factory, but you need to know information. So it's just that kind of con- constant support the whole way through. Okay, so it's like somebody, is it usually people who are developing their own brands, but they just kind of want somebody else to yeah. tap into and just say like, am I heading in the right direction? Or this is a problem that I can't quite solve at yeah, the moment. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, that's super valuable. I mean, I don't have my own brand or anything, but um, I've been helping brands do their work and it's been interesting to see where I can fit in and and how I can help yeah and then um, I also do oh, sorry no sorry go ahead go ahead what were you gonna say no, I was gonna say I also then do uh the side where I produce like the technical drawings and tech packs so say if somebody they mm. they know where they're going and what they're doing but they just need a technical drawing and tech pack to approach approach a factory so I kind of do that side as well to kind of get get all the technical sides they've got the ideas they know exactly what they want it made from how they want it all their sizing then I just come along and put all their sketches like put the correct stitch and all the drawings Mm -hmm. and everything um yeah that's cool um what was I going to say about that so and and then do you also do like um so you you'll create technical sketches and tech packs but do you also as part of your freelancing um follow along with the rest of the process like um source factories um do fittings that kind of stuff I when I started I used to help source all the factories I don't do that part anymore because I try get the ownership on them to build a relationship with the factory so if stuff goes wrong or if they need help with anything then I'm always there like like quick email sort of answer but I then don't go along with the factory process I do once they've um got their sample I've had people book in them for another 30 minutes but just like a fitting or how to measure the garment hmm. so it's kind of more I'm there coaching sort of stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. And coaching there. and help but you don't run yeah. the process yeah yeah it's their okay. brand it's their cool and I think time-wise as well I mean I did take on um I was on a really interesting brand a couple of years ago but my youngest was two and to be doing all the manufacturing side to getting the samples checking them all it was you forget how much you have to be involved in that to get it to the next step so 
to just do all the technical side and to do all the writings fits in more when I haven't got the whole day mm -hmm. because I've yeah. had someone at home for like the past 10 years. So, but there yeah. in September, it'll be me, yeah. just me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good time. Let's talk about the full process. So um, a designer comes to you and they are interested in creating a new garment and they get some advice from you on the direction to go. They get the um, technical drawings in a tech pack. Then they have to bring that, they bring that to factories and get costing from it. Is that, would that um, be the yeah, next so step? they would take it depending on <clears throat> what they want the factory to do, whether they want the factory to source the materials or to take to do everything or whether they are doing the materials and the patterns. So they would usually take it to, a, send it to a factory and then the factory would then cost from the tech pack and that would usually it would include all the fabrics, the patterns, um, the cut and trim, everything, but to the final um, garment. Okay. So they would then get the prices. They would then get um, a price for the samples. And at this stage, they would have to negotiate how many samples are in the price or whether they have to pay for each sample. And what's the typical amount of samples that you have to go through to perfect a garment? Well, Let's say an underwire bra. So you would get your initial first sample. And then this sample doesn't have to always be made in the correct fabric, but it should be made in a similar stretch. And so from this sample, you're probably going to be able to fit it. And then you would get your next sample and it's from your next sample that would be need to be in the correct fabric and everything and trims and from that again you would then fit it um and once you're okay so that would go back and forth and ideally you wouldn't really want more than two fits because okay. then that indicates something's probably way off if you keep having to go back um to the factory for samples and then that sample then becomes a sealer and this means that everything on this garment is exactly how I want it um and then they would do a size set sample which means they're taking making a sample of of each of the sizes but if you're a small independent um starting your own brand you don't need the full size set sample I would go for the smallest and the biggest and this would then if something's amiss, this will then show up because obviously if the grading's just out by a couple of mil, by the time you get to the bigger size, it's going to be out. It amplifies by every size and then, yeah, it's way yeah. off by the biggest size. Mm -hmm. And then I would get a, um, a sample in what I would, what I'm photographing the model on. So you've got like three sizes from your size set sample. And this can then usually you have a pre-production sample and this is the sample which will be shown what is what's gone through production and this is how it's going to turn out from production so you're not left with one a sample machine is made and then you, mm. then when your order comes through you're not suddenly oh it's not quite right okay and so, so that's and that's because your sample machinist is working on different machines than the production machines yes because your sample machinist is usually making the whole bra and she will physically move to each machine to make it whereas when you've got production your bra is being moved 
from each mm. machine or the person to so the person yeah. and they and they're going through as quickly as possible okay and how they've costed it they've timed how long it takes say to overlock that side seam and that's how it's all costed okay that's so if interesting the machine takes x amount of seconds to put 10 bras through so she's going as quick as she can whereas the sample machinist is doing it and then moving mm-hmm. like like what you would do at home like just yeah. like, a, like how exactly, we, how yeah. you would make one garment at home yeah, yeah. whereas your bra in production is being moved around along the, the production machine. line okay yeah so okay. so then that's how bits can um not be measuring correctly because obviously they're not you taking know, the from, time to like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Checking so you're just like they bit. have one seam to sew so they sew that yeah. seam and they move it along they're going for it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but your size set sample and your pre-production sample can be the same thing so you could ask for a pre-production sample in the sizes you need to check it all so you don't have to go size set sample pre-production sample and then I usually, if I was getting it made somewhere, would have a bulk sample, which means they're just picking off the top, send you it, and you kind of check it to make sure nothing's like really On askew. way wrong. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully by that point. Yeah, sometimes it does. You're like, why is this seam here? That wasn't intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or some things sure not that's grow, they haven't used the right fabric. Um mm-hmm. Like I worked for um, a company where it had all gone through and we'd got to the bulk and for whatever reason they changed fabric from the sample, from the pre-production sample and it was in the centre front and mm. it was it was just meant to be two loops like looped together in the front and they'd made it all the way correctly and they get to actually make it and, the, and they'd change it to stretch fabric. Mm. Which meant the fit was way off after that. Yeah. Um. And, and so, we, so this is bulk. So this means like, like every, your whole order has been produced, or your only whole a order percentage? is pretty okay. much nearly done. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so and then what do you what do you do? Well, like what happens you, in that case? You, is it- you, you've got to make the call whether you, t- depending how wrong or how off market is that you want. You either take it and say you want it at a discounted price, okay. you reject it, and but then you've got to fight exactly why you're rejecting it. You'd have to like point to exactly yeah. where along yeah. the line. Like, yeah, this was approved and, like, and this changed. Yeah. yeah, this is where your sealer comes in handy because I've had to at times unpick if it was something like this where it's, where you can't see what fabric they've used inside. Unpick the sealer unpick the bulk mm. to kind of take pictures and state this is why I'm rejecting it mm. and then, oh, that's that's super interesting to hear about the process yeah um so who who <laughs> who are the people that want to make brands like who who are um, yeah, who are the individuals? Are they individuals? Are they companies? Are they people of found sourcing? Are they university students? Like who's who's coming to you for mentoring on on wanting to start a new brand? It's mainly people who are coming from a personal um, problem perspective. Yeah. 
So that could be, I mean, I've in the past sort of three months, for example, I've dealt with mastectomy. Mm. I've dealt with up to a person wanting to go to a cake up. Mm. Um, then there's been maternity, mm-hmm. someone who just wants a really lovely, simple, um, like bra and brief, but want it just really plain at a lower cost point, but a really sort of organic, organic fabrics. And so it's either the design I get um, required to help with. So that could be like the maternity and all the different aspects of that. Or it's the ethical side. So that could be like they want to get stuff made in the UK. They want to use any organic fabrics. They want to have that trace of who made their garments. So they're the two sort of sides. It's either the ethical or the ones that have had that personal problem okay. and they can't find the solution. Okay. So it's just people with ideas who think that yeah. they're they're that this idea is something that they don't have there's not something in the market that solves it already. And yeah. they're like, I think it could be a business. Yeah. And it's usually okay. people who've never had any probably even the sewing or anything of that side. And and I literally work from a sketch. They bring me the sketch and then yeah. I would say for them to pull images off the off the internet and annotate them, like what they like from this, what they don't. And then I would do a drawing and then it goes back and forth until it's correct how they see it in their head. Mm. And then from that, I would then do the technical packs and then we'd go through like the fabrics and whether they are sourcing them. And if they are, then I would give them the information of like where to source them mm. or if it's a factory then it all gets put like yeah so they've got the pack and then I also with all my tech packs I also send like the excel version across so they can change it all because I really believe in the fact that you don't need to have gone to study everything you just need everything to do in front of you for example when I did my brand I had no idea on websites so obviously I employed someone to build a website at the time and then went to change a page. I was like, oh, I can't change this. And he's like, oh, that's going to be £500. Right, yeah. Change. And I was like, what? Yeah. So I always, when I produce anything, I give people the um, changeable copy as well. Mm. So in the future, so they can take their brand. It's their brand. They've paid me to interest, you know, to get them started get them going and sometimes you don't know all the answers when you've got your tech pack you don't know how you want it packed you don't haven't decided completely on the fabrics and if it goes away and you can't change that information yeah and yeah it kind of doesn't become valid again if they want to change batteries yeah or in, if they in want a tech pack one. Yeah, a tech pack is should be an understandable document. Like it's not, it's like all the information is in there for for how to create this garment. I think of it like I do. Um, I help sewing pattern makers, like the independent pattern makers, with their illustrations and with with their instructions. And I kind of think of them as the same thing. Like you should be able to take a pa- tech pack and basically make that garment. You should have enough information in there to yeah to have all the details on how to make that garment. And so like it shouldn't be even if. I have no um, background in sewing or fashion, I should still, 
if I'm a brand owner, I'm trying to create a bra, I should still have a certain understanding of what fabric goes where. And if you need to change that fabric, it should be pretty easy to change yeah. in the deck pack. So that's that's very, yeah. But quite you, a lot you, of people don't, they'll, they'll have come to me and said, oh, I've spent X amount of hundreds or even thousands and haven't got, and they've changed, they want to go with a different factory, a different person. And they've gone, well, haven't released only only released the pdf version not the version yeah. they can so <laughs> yeah yeah the it's, yeah. it should be yeah like I, i've heard it described before as a living breathing document it, it's definitely something that you should have the authority over to be able to change if, if you're the designer yeah. um so that that absolutely makes sense that you would provide it that way and also you're um you're you're giving them the power like if 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 you're trying to keep the document and like reserve it so that you can make the changes as the technical, the tech pack designer, um, I guess, um, I guess what you're trying to do is like keep the authority <laughs> to yourself because you don't want like to pass along the document, have it get changed by the designer, and then, and then be like, well, that's not the that's not the document that I gave you in the first yeah. place. So I guess there's two sides to that coin. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, so mine's all done so you can change it. So if you then have the confidence to do a next range, it's all there. And even mm. on my website, I now sell um, Excel versions of like specs and tech packs so people can buy them, have a look, see if they can do it themselves as well. Yeah. I think yeah. if you, when you're starting a brand, even though you probably don't want to do everything yourself, if you have like an umbrella you should at least understand yeah right. that will save you so much time yeah and cost in the future like if yeah. anything goes wrong or yeah cool so um uh so we talked i think we talked about like the general <laughs> i didn't mean to take this long just to talk about the overview of your business but it's, <laughs> it's very interesting um and so that's where you've settled into now is is the mentorship role the um sort of like helping brands get started yeah and is it startup brands is, is your main customer yeah it's all the startup ones that yeah. that haven't got the technical side yeah but i've got the vision and know where the brand's going mm-hmm. cool um okay so i wanted to go all the way back i wrote down a few things when you were first talking why thailand why did you pick thailand when you first um God, i can't even remember why i think yeah. it's because it was through a dart at a map a culture <laughs> it wasn't okay. like i've been to europe um i knew i'd always wanted to go to australia so i knew i'd end up there at some point so it was kind of and i'd heard just such lovely things about southeast asia that i was like i wanted to go experience that so we kind of did the thailand and burma and cambodia so yeah that was just and i thought a one-way yeah. ticket because i I'm not traveling like doing a year trip. I'll, I'll make a decision when I'm there. Yeah. So sort of what to go to next. Yeah. Cool. Um, at DMU, did you feel like you learned the skills that you needed to learn to become um to, to achieve your goals? Like whether was it to become a designer, have your own brand? Um I think I learned the sewing skills and the um so how they would 
teach you, you know, you know what you're doing, you know what you've got to achieve next. And I think, and I think that was really good. So, yeah, so I learned the sewing skills and um, the things they did so you knew what 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 you would do next and what, you know, you're going to cover this in the first year, you're going to cover that in the second year, which I think if you do all by yourself, you always slip behind. When it comes to technical, at that time, I would say no, I had no idea how to write a tech pack. And because I didn't do it in my first job, I still didn't when I left, left the first job. Spec sheets, again, no, I got taught that. Um, in my first job grading they did um touch on grading but I it was like loose it probably over just a couple of weeks so it wasn't really it wasn't until um yeah I was in my first job that I ended up learning actually in work but it's it's interesting because it sounds like in in your first job you didn't even need tech packs just because like everything was done exactly where you were. So when you were, yeah. commu- you were communicating directly with the sample maker at the time yeah. on, on exactly what you wanted. So it was a yeah, different. So I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't have anything on tech packs and I didn't do any technical drawings. And when I started to go through my career, it became clear whether you were on the pattern side or whether you were on like the drawings and the tech packs mm. and because I worked for, it was like a design house in the UK, but you worked for different UK high streets. I then found when I wanted to find another job, you were either, so that's called supplier-based, where you're supplying different um, companies. And then it's in-house where you're working just for like one company, one brand. So I found it hard to cross over. So my job in Australia as well was a supplier base because I'd been quite heavily in the supplier base. Okay. Um, yeah. So did you, um, what did you see a shift in your career from things being produced locally in uh, the UK to the, to being outsourced? Yeah, definitely. So it was, um, for example, in Lincolnshire, when I went, um, so De Montford's in Leicestershire, so they're two counties side by side. There was like three lingerie um, manufacturers alone, and uh, and then by two thousand and three, there was so within the three years when I started university to finishing in three years into my career, there was no lingerie manufacturers. I think there's an appreciation now again to get it made it made locally. Yeah, so and is it possible? Is there still some? manufacturers or is it pretty difficult yeah no no there's still some um around which i think is really good because it allows you to make even though it's more expensive it allows you to visit the place it allows you to literally see your design being done and any problems that kick up you're not left with like like we said with like a bulk sample where stuff can go wrong so and you're left with as well a lot lower minimums because you can react if you're always supplying, um, getting your stuff made, manufactured locally, you can then react to the market more. You don't probably want 5,000 minimums in a 30. Like I never sold a 28E in my whole entire brand, but one of the best sellers was a 28 double F. But because I was making everything, 
I then wasn't left with, say, 3,028 Ts. Mm. I can't believe you were making everything yourself. So um, when you, when you, did you make yourself tech packs when you were making your own product? Uh, no, I made myself, um, called them sample sheets. So it would be a drawing and then it would be like the key measurements of, so it's kind of like a, an extended spec sheet. So it would be like the key measurements of what, what it would be and then it would be the details of the fabrics the details of like all the bows and where i would get them all from but i'd do it all on like one sheet okay so you had a document sort of like to go by but it wasn't as detailed as like something that you would send to a factory now to make sure because you would know you would know all the um, details one range produced um in a factory in wales and again though because i hadn't done tech packs at the time that was a hand-drawn um drawing it was a I'd sent a sample with that as well of what I wanted to get made I actually drove from Belfast through to Wales which was like a nine hour get the ferry on the car all the way through and sat with the sample machinist and was kind of like this is what I want so it was all again very hands-on and it was only I think in one job when they asked if I could do tech packs I was like yeah of course I can and then went and <laughs> like googled exactly right. what was the tech pack and then when yeah. I got the job it was I always do a line when I sort of in a job if I've never known was to say well how do you like it to be done mm-hmm. and then because obviously every company <laughs> is their own way yeah anyway. I can I can do tech packs for sure 100 yeah. how do you like it <laughs> how do you like how do you like them laid out so I know, know I know how to do it yeah really know how to do it and then in that job as well there was a graphic designer who drew all the technical drawings so I would be writing with tech packs but using so it wasn't until I came back to the UK that I went to um like a course that specialized in technical drawings for fashion um and so yeah I let's talk about software so were you was that course using illustrator yes yeah yeah, so um, yeah, I do all, all my technical drawings still on Illustrator and okay. then, then do all the packs on Excel. Okay, and do you do pattern drafting as well? Is that one of the services um, I, you offer? Yep, I do. I I only do them on paper patterns though. So that, that, that would either be literally a physical um, paper pattern or I would get them in the computer and then that's done as a PDF. So I don't have the software to do like Gerber mm-hmm. or any... So if anyone comes to me, but so I sort of ask what exactly they want. And if they are wanting to take it to a overseas factory, then I would pass their details to someone I know who's got all the machinery. Because no point me doing it all on paper for them to have a pattern they can't use. Right. Yeah. So if you do provide somebody with a pattern, okay, so you you um just have a contact for if they wanted to have that pattern digitized you would just pass it along to somebody yeah. who had I usually um, yeah and I usually then get that person who's digitizing to probably do the whole pattern rather than me choose a paper pattern I mean I have done it before I've used oh, okay I see I see passed it on they digitize it and they grade it yeah. but I also give them the option to see the cost and everything of that person to do it all because from experience it's far easier to do a whole job than to kind of take a half 
than job and yeah totally yeah that makes sense yeah it ends up going to the digitizer anyways and if they have the skills to be able to make the pattern then why not just have them make the pattern (laughs) make the pattern grade the pattern you can also and now it's digitized so changes are also really easy yeah Yeah, do you have any experience with 3d software which if you follow my instagram you know that like this is my this is like what i'm focusing on I don't. I worked with someone who wanted to know the technical side and they were doing 3D at the time. And I was like, send me this stuff so I can look. And it looked so fascinating and amazing that it is something I definitely want to do. But then it's yeah. I've got to be able to work it out how I can incorporate, incorporate that to my services rather than it mm. be me just being fascinated with it yeah, and yeah. wanting to do it. And what is that? So when I learned about um, 3D design, which was maybe around two years ago now, I was like, <laughs> what? You can like draft patterns and see them like in 3D at the same time. And like, this is usable and this is accessible to people. Like, why? This is not the standard in the industry. And I'm slowly, <laughs> forgive me for my ignorance, I am slowly learning that like, it's just not the way it's been done for like years and years and years and years and decades and centuries, right? Like, it's just not the way it's yeah. been done. So I'm I'm learning to have patience with <laughs> the fact that it's not the I way it's been done. Um, but um, I would like to ask what is, like what has been the barrier like so you you saw 3d design you're really like yeah that's cool and then like what has been the barrier to you not taking the next step to, to learning it or implementing um, it I think at this moment because I've been so busy with um like the writing and like the courses and then the one-to-ones and because I have, I mean, my oldest son is nine, I've got a seven and now just four. And there's always been someone at home with me for the past sort of nine years. So there is only so much at some point. I mean, and that's the fun part when you learn something new is that you you get immersed in it and then you learn it and then you can kind of implement what you've learned on. But I think because I've I've never had that lull where I've gone, oh, I need to change tact or I need mm. to. Mm. So um, it's, yeah, okay, interesting. It's just hasn't, there hasn't been a need. You've had enough business yeah. and you've had enough work to keep you busy up to the point yeah. where you are. So there's no need. And yeah. and then there's That's like, it's cool, said. but there's the time barrier. Yeah. The, we only yeah. have so, we all only have yeah. so much time in the day. Mm. That said, though, I do think learning it would then open the doors for stuff being done probably quicker mm. or being able to take that person to the next step to see what works rather than then go on the full journey of having a sample and realizing well actually that looks not what I was thinking of. Right. So I think yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. So there is yeah, exactly. so I have to be excited when the time comes to kind of get all that done and then to be able to offer that as well and yeah. the service to offer that. Okay. Well, I will be launching a course <laughs> on creating, um, on using Clo 3D to create intimate apparel. And um, I have a colleague who is going to be teaching a course on how to create intimate apparel for, or how to do the drafting for intimate apparel. Yeah. So that's something you can check out. It'll be coming out. Oh, Shameless plug for myself. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. 
but um yeah it's if if it's something you're interested in learning it will be coming yeah. out and and we can talk more about that but um i definitely think it's the future i think it's it's where we're headed and um a big part of me is just trying to understand what's what's the hold up you know but i, think, I, I yeah i think laundry is sometimes so there's never big leaps unless mm. there kind of needs to be yeah yeah does that make sense I think I totally. spoke to um there's a guy I went and saw when I wrote my first the anatomy of a bra and he designed a new hook and eye which worked under pressure so basically you always knew you were in the right size bra because if oh, cool. you didn't then it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't work and he spent years of trying to get this in the industry and then one company would say that they'd take it if another company was taking it. But because the hook and eye kind of works and no one really questions it, mm -hmm. it doesn't ever seem to sometimes go forward. Say, it's just not the, the right problem. Trainers. Mm -hmm. It's just not the right problem. Like nobody needs that problem solved. So yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, and I, there's there are definitely, specific, specifically for using hard bodied avatars for intimate apparel there's there's a lot of i i always try to acknowledge the limitations of the software as well it's a hard avatars avatars often look kind of creepy like it's not that like it can get you to a starting point with fitting you can do your drafting but it's still you still got to get it onto like a human body at some point yeah. and and then the benefit is you bring it back into the program make your changes and now you have a digital pattern so um yeah, yeah thank, I, I thank you for right, engaging no problem. I think it's when they first, because the first, um, my first job, they used to hand cut every, so we, you hand graded it literally on cardboard and then a, a man would hand cut mm. all the fabrics. And it was only when I was there that they got a digitizer in and got a computer in to do or computer grading. But there was such like um, friction of like, we don't need to do this. We can, we're yeah. quite happy hand grading it all. We're quite happy. It's going to be far better than the person mm. hand grading. We're saying the computer can't do as good, good enough job. Yeah, yeah. We can't do the tweaks we need to do. Yeah. The person cut in and it was just, yes, yeah, so I think it's going to be the same mm. depending on who you speak to with, with the 3D of yeah. like, like you said, where the, where the avatars aren't, you know, they're quite sort of solid and everything. Mm. But I think, there's, yeah, to just be able to do that and be able to change patterns quickly or to see if I change this pattern, yeah. what will happen rather yeah. than change, making up a sample. Exactly. Yeah. I know it's so interesting. I um, like, I, I've been trying to, like, I, I've been spending a lot of time trying to understand. There's a few things that have come up. Like, when it takes a long time to learn the skills that you have, like Lori Van Johnson has this huge basket full of skills that it's taken you 20 years to learn to wait to to do it the way you do it. And, it, and it's working for you. You're successful at what you do. And and so like, here's a new shiny new tool out there. And you're like, that's cool. But I already got something that works. <laughs> so I don't necessarily like maybe one day. And then there's also um, for big for for small or big businesses to invest in this um, t time, money, and energy into like creating this new process. Well, is it like, 
you, you have to have the confidence that it's going to work because yeah. especially the bigger the company you are, the bigger the consequences for if it doesn't, if you've not like put a lot of time, energy and money into it and, and it, and it doesn't work. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to see the other side of it, but I still think the potential for like what it can save, particularly with like when we're talking about garment design, um, we start with sketches, right? Like we start with sketches because yeah. we want to think we need to conceive of how this, this garment is going to come together. And then we make a pattern out of that. And then if the next step can be a 3D visualization of that, rather than like a physical sample that you have to like cut and sew, I think it's, I think eventually we're going to yeah. find our way there. Definitely. And the skill set too, right? They Like I'm crazy. I spend a lot of time like figuring out the software and learning it and figuring out how to apply it. Yeah. And not everybody's cares that much. So yeah, they just want to be able to, yeah, get it move all done. Forward. And... Move forward with their project. Yeah. 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 And I think yeah. also, I think where it will come into its own is when you go to see buyers, like say, for example, the first job I always took um, samples. We always had physical samples with the buyers. And then obviously um, my Australian job and other jobs I've done previously um, or afterwards has been the technical drawings of all the um, the colours in and like the graphic designs where, as I think with the 3D, that will then to do a presentation of exactly the next page yeah. or the but I think that's where it's going yeah. to sort of yeah and it could be just so much faster too right like yeah. you can get a 3D sample done in a couple of hours whereas yeah. like the process of getting a physical sample done especially if it's getting done by a factory takes significantly yeah. longer mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so interesting I'm interesting to to see where the future of this goes but it's, yeah. it's been around for a while like it's it hasn't it's not like brand new but it's um it's been slow to be picked up and yeah, I, I, I like hearing the reasons <laughs> as to why. Um, what else do I have? Liberty Prints I had written down. So that's cool. You When you first created your design, you were using Liberty Prints. So um, my understanding is that Liberty was developed in England. Um, they're a print factory or a fabric factory um, that has a it's, strong history. Yeah, so Liberty of London, it's... Um, they've got they go back years and years and they'll have like the traditional ones and then new ones and it'll be done on fabrics it will be done like uh, clothes wear and so liberty in london you can go visit the store and it's this massive sort of old store and they'll have different levels of like the clothing and other brands and then they'll have a whole floor on all fabrics and they do what i used was um cotton elastane so mine was all stretch fabrics and I used to use the end of roll ones, like the um, dead stock of it all. So it would be, I would literally get a swatch and it would be like three meters left of this or right, 10 meters yeah. of this. And I could then, again, work to low minimums and produce lingerie in the bigger sizes in these. I think like I had a mad car print on one and then I would have like florals. And so it was all the stuff that you at the time, so we're going back to like 2005, wasn't really seen in the bigger print, um, in the bigger broad market. Mm. Yeah, that's super cool. Even now, I think it's it's hard to find um, pretty bras when you go into not normal. Like it's, it, it's probably more, you're probably more capable now than you were in the past, but it's still harder yeah. to find like the really pretty bras in, in larger yeah. or, or more. An extended range of sizes yeah 
Okay, Lori, I've already like stolen more than an hour from you. I'm super happy to have had you on the you podcast. Know, I was I... talking away. I didn't even realize the time. <laughs> talking to you. Um, I've been wrapping up the podcast asking designers what's your favorite part of um I mean there's your business is multifaceted, so it could be mentorship or it could be designing or what's your favorite part of the business? What's your least favorite part of the business? I think my favorite part is helping the people who've have got no industry knowledge and they just literally come with a sketch and an idea and are so passionate about it and I help them get to the next stage and it's when I see their stuff online or selling I think that's my favorite part of it all like giving birth Um, yeah just to (laughs) kind of see or to know you've helped that person produce what they've had the midwife yeah (laughs) (laughs) um Least favorite part? Ooh. I'd say it's really just all the paper paperwork mm. that sometimes <laughs> goes with all the bits that you don't see, which I think every business has. Yeah, bits, all the like the updating um, of everything. Like this morning, I spent the time trying to get um, an e course that I've I've written and done, like the best way to put it on the website, and spent four hours working out only to realize that wasn't the best way mm. so and because I think there's only me I think that's probably sometimes the worst part mm. is because it's just you you're doing yeah. you have nobody to ask for the answers like yeah. no boss to go yeah. to yeah <laughs> yeah cool and where can people find you what's the best way to to reach you um my website is um Banyonson Design which is like B-A-N-J-O-N N Design and that's the same on Instagram as well. So, or if you just okay, Google, I'm usually in, or ask any lingerie question, and I'm usually on the um, top top page. Awesome, of Google, awesome. I'm, I'm on your email list, so I look forward to seeing when your courses launch and and what yes. kind of what what you narrow it down to. Hopefully, it's small back, large cup stuff. Yeah, I will. It's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you again so much. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you and you. Bye-bye. Bye.